Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful in oil country and around the world. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good. 5-3. Oilers win. Um, The game never felt close, I have to say. Uh, Vancouver is... uh, Back on their heels, I think, for the for the rest of this season and um, the duration. The duration lost their best player earlier on, hit by COVID, and yeah, um, they did manage to get more grade A chances, nine to eight, than the Oilers. But this was never had the, this never really had the feeling of a game that the Oilers couldn't turn it on uh, at any time and take the lead if they needed to, which is exactly what they did. Bruce, this is our Two Good Things, Two Bad Things, and Two Numbers podcast, and we'll go with two good things each because there's a couple obvious ones. Let's start out with those. Go ahead. My good thing, number one, going to the playoffs, baby. Big, big night when you get to clinch uh, country playoff berth. All the nicer when you clinch it as opposed to getting it clinched for you because somebody else lost the game on your day off or something like that. And in this case, uh, the only team mathematically that could touch Edmonton was Vancouver, a very, very distant bell that would have required an 11-game Vancouver winning streak and an 0-7-0 finish for the Oilers. But until that uh, I is dotted and that T is crossed, that X does not appear in the standing. So they uh, uh, they dotted their I's and crossed the T's, and you and I... <laughs> crossed our eyes watching the game that was probably not a real thriller but it was um, uh, uh, mission accomplished and it's mission number one at the beginning of every season make the playoffs make it to the dance get in there you got a chance and it's uh, uh, something that we've only seen well depending on what you think about last year and some people debate whether the Oilers really made the playoffs last year I credit them with the playoffs because they were a playoff team all year and they got I do too as we know things went crazy but all those stats counted as playoff stats but uh, even at that this is only three times in uh, in 15 years and it wasn't quite the pulsating finish man they played on the radio David just before the game started of uh, Jack Michaels calling the game that Edmonton made the playoffs in 2017, where they beat LA Kings 2-1 on home ice uh, to to clinch. And it was a couple of weeks to go, so it wasn't like super super pressure, but it was, uh, you know, it was the team that had tormented us for years, and and uh, that uh, I happened to be at that game, and it was just. A furious finish. I think Talbot made like five saves in the last minute or something. And Jack Michaels was just going crazy. And the crowd was roaring. It was just, it brought a tear to my eye, honestly. All we're missing out on it. Hockey. Hockey. This was hockey, right? Being there, being at the game, experiencing that pulsating, thrilling finish that was that game. And as many games, you know, I mean, it is a pulsating, thrilling game at its best. And, and to hear that, and, and they said this is the last time Edmonton won a game to make the playoffs because last year, of course, you know, they never got near mathematical clinching when all of a sudden the season was over and then it was down to the to figuring out in the boardroom who was in and how it was going to work and how they were going to hose the orders. 
<laughs> and we all know how that ended up. And anyway, uh, this year they won their way in, and they uh, uh, they took care of business just enough. It was not a great, great game, and it was not a super classic performance by the Oilers, who did allow a late goal to make it close, but uh, they held on for the 5-3 to three win with the late empty netter to, to salt it away, and uh, here we are. We can now officially start talking about doing what's best for the team in preparation for the playoffs with that X in the standings that uh, Dave Tippett used as a big motivator for his team today, and I dare say they they didn't need his help to they wanted to get it done and they got it done. Yeah, it is. It's it's kind of heartbreaking to think about Oilers in the playoffs, especially if they go on a run without fans too, Bruce. And I mean, it's just, I, I just don't have to, we don't have to talk about how heartbreaking this whole pandemic and lockdown has been. It's just been endless and frustrating and sad and people have lost a lot and, and in big, very big ways and in smaller ways as well. It's you know, the orders... screen world now, David, and that's where we get our hockey fix these days. Yeah. It's all on the big flat screen and all the high definition in the world. It's not the same as being there, and that's even not the same as watching on TV when there are fans in the rink, but it's still hockey, and yeah. mostly it's good hockey. I miss them going to the fans, going crazy. I, don't, I hardly ever go to the game, so that's what I miss. It's just, anyway, it is what it is, as we say, and as we've said yes. for some time. Bruce, I... I it's easy to just um, be almost complacent about the orders making the playoffs this year. It's been telegraphed for some time. But as you can recall, we had a weak start to the year, and many people were doubting the Oilers at that time. Uh, many people before the season didn't think this was a playoff team and that they'd be battling it right to the end. Um, I think I predicted they'd finish first, so I was incorrect about that, based on their winning percentage of this year, last year, and their strength of the team heading into this year. I thought they were a better team. But, uh, and they have become a better team this year. All kinds of great things have happened on this team this year. Uh, improvements of, of numerous players, and they're big players. McDavid, uh, Nurse, Dreisaitl coming up big, and Mike Smith as well. It's been a fantastic year for an Oilers hockey fan. A and, you know, if I have two wishes left, it is for two things, success in the playoffs, but also at some some at some at point fans in the stands during the playoffs. And it seems like a faint hope now, but um, I still have my fingers crossed. Bruce, my good thing is, uh, my first one is Connor McDavid. And <laughs> the his whole thing about getting to 100 points is starting to seem very, very real. Four-point night. He now has uh, 91 points in 50 games. He needs nine points in his final six games, which for McDavid is obviously entirely doable. And he doesn't even, like the, the whole word that he's going to have to strain himself and break his back and get worn down in some desperate push to get um, 100 points doesn't seem like that might have to happen either after a night like that. I mean, if he has one more big explosive mm -hmm. night, it's it's uh, it's pretty much going to be a done deal. Tonight, he 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 was very good tonight. You know, not he wasn't he. It wasn't his uh, nine out of ten or ten out of ten game, but it was an eight out of ten game probably. And that's funny to say about a uh, <laughs> guy who put up four points. Um, he makes a beautiful cross-seam pass to Yessa Pugliarvi on the first goal. He uh, he drills a shot 
uh, towards net on the second goal, which uh, Pugliarvi knocks down over to Barry into the net. He he totally handcuffs uh, Braden Holtby on the third goal with barging in there and ripping his usual hard shot. He's become better at beating goalies. And we had that rated as a B chance. But with, when McDavid's shooting it now, he's doing all these little things, making it difficult for, for the goalies. And, you know, the goalie thought he should have made that save, obviously. Fans, I thought he should have made that save. He was beating himself up. But that's a when McDavid's shooting that puck, Bruce, dangerous, dangerous things happen. And then, the, <laughs> then we had the twist of fate uh, of the Canucks getting a late goal. And, of course, the the thought that occurred to a million Oilers fans at that very moment is, oh, good, they're going to pull their goalie and McDavid can get another point. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what happened. So that's the story of his four-point night. Yeah, he got the empty netter on a pretty slick uh, slick play from uh, his empty net line mates there, uh, Archibald and and, uh, and Dreisaitl, to, uh, to seal the deal. Uh, I'm going to talk about that a little bit in a bit, though. But uh, uh, yeah, that, that uh, I hadn't taken in, David. That um, that you'd scored that as a B chance, but to me, I, I'm going to upgrade that to an A. The McDavid goal because of the uh, clash of sticks right when he shot the puck, it was deflected at the source, and that's what gave Miller so much trouble. Well, so it was one of those shots. You can't. The goalie can't read it when the two sticks together come and the puck flies and it either hits the goalie or it hits a hole. And that one just squeezed under his his arm of his catching side and dribbled over the line. But it was, uh, uh, to my way of thinking, that would be definitely be a uh, a grade A. Uh, all right, I changed chances. it all. Okay, so make changed it nine. It already, make it nine to nine. Make it nine to nine then, because and, yeah, and that was. Uh, for people who don't know how our scoring chance system works, I usually do the the grades, the initial run through of awarding the marks, and then Bruce reviews it, and and um, we uh, we have a discussion sometimes if there's a disagreement where we go back and forth and we we debate it, and uh, but but in the end, because we want to try to control for my bias, whatever bias I have, we have Bruce's bias, uh, two people balancing each other out and discussing things. I think the discussion is actually the most important thing, but it's also, I think, good to have, you know, two different people with two different views of the slightly different views of the game, sorting it out. So that's how we try to get it at a more fair and accurate. So it's just not one person's um, domain. This is, it's an, it's a, I think a bonafide effort and we also publish them. um, So you can look at our results um, and, which is another important way that uh, our results can be verified and checked out by other people. Bruce, what's your second good thing? Yeah, I'm going to have to go with the uh, second line of uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins at center uh, between Dominic Cahoon and Tyler, Tyler Yamamoto. Uh, I thought they had, they had an outstanding game today, uh, slightly spoiled by the goal against right towards the, uh, right towards the end of the game. Uh, off a face-off play, but uh, they were in dominant form throughout uh, uh, much of their time together. And it was because they were so strong on the puck. They were just all over the puck. They were buzzsaws. Uh, Yamamoto, uh, I mean, he made uh, uh, he made a number of great plays to win possession and to move the puck along. He didn't have any shots himself, Yamamoto, 
Uh, but he was starting a lot of plays, and uh, Nugent Hopkins and Cahoon had four shots each. And uh, Nugent, I mean, he must have seemed like he had four grade A chances on his own because uh, um, uh, netminder for Vancouver, Braden Holtby, uh, made a number of uh, just excellent stops on him right in stone cold uh, edge of the crease kind of thing. And uh, Cahoon had a real jump in his step tonight. And I just thought they were they were active on the puck. And I think probably this was, especially compared to what we've seen lately, Montreal, Calgary, uh, this was a pretty a-physical game. Yeah. And, you know, Vancouver is, I'm not going to say they're mailing it in, but I'm not, I mean... They would be insane to be putting in an intense physical effort because they still have 10 more games after this one in like two weeks. Their schedule is just brutal. And so, you know, they gave an honest effort tonight. Do not take me the wrong way. I thought I admired Vancouver. I thought they, they, they hung in in a game. They easily could have bailed. Um, but um, uh, they're down so many players. They're down something like eight forwards. I mean, their whole bottom six was gone. Right, all those guys from from Brandon Sutter to uh, Jay Beagle to to uh, Motley Mott, there Tyler Mott, Roussel, and uh, yeah, Dominic Roussel didn't miss him. Uh, but Roussel, Vancouver, yeah, Antoine, Antoine Roussel, Dominic was the goalie. Antoine Roussel, uh, the French uh, international, uh, that has a little bit of a reputation for uh, Weasley play, and uh, just a bit. Yeah, yeah, he's the Canucks modern equivalent of Alexander Burroughs. That's uh, that's uh, Roussel. Anyway, they're missing all those guys. Like you know, anytime you're playing Vancouver, you always have these these pack of dogs that they that they sick on you in the bottom six, and they're all getting paid, overpaid. But you know, they're 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 half decent at their roles. But those guys were gone. I didn't recognize a couple of Canucks, and it was just a. Uh, um, you know, sort of a motley crew that uh, that they put together, and so anyway, the uh, the line was all over them, and the play that I particularly enjoyed, of course, was the goal that they scored, killer goal, and turned out to be the game-winning goal, last minute of the second period. That was three. Warriors had made it three-one. McDavid, Canucks had bounced back with a with a goal by by uh, J T. Miller to make it three-two. And it looked like they were going to go to the room that way, especially after Vancouver killed off the last shift of the big line. Oilers big line had scored all three of their goals to that point. And instead, in the last 30, 40 seconds of the middle frame, let me see, now 19-15. Uh, uh, real nice four-way pl- passing play uh, where, uh, again, Yamamoto started it, and he uh, he didn't even get a... He didn't even get a point, but he moved it to uh, Nugent Hopkins. He made a nice feed, quick feed to Dmitry Kulikov, who sent a lovely cross-seam pass right across to Dominic Cahoon. And my favorite part of that play, if you roll the tape, how you'll say, back it up, back it up, roll the tape. Uh, back it all the way up to the line change, where Drysaddle at the end of his long shift is kind of cruising to the bench, and he's about 20, 25 feet from the bench, and Cahoon is already there with one leg over the boards and Drysaddle goes off screen and Cahoon jumps on the ice and you know that he's like two seconds easy before Drysaddle is going to get to the bench and Cahoon's out there 
And because he was so quick on the change, uh, he was able to jump into the hole in the open ice and, and nobody was covering, right? And uh, he wound up with a clean shot and he buried it. But uh, that was a hustle play right from the bench to the slot to the net. So that, that's really what all three of those guys were doing was hustling and uh, and winning their share of battles. So yeah, one of this one of the prettiest goals of the year, and and all the more mm, so on a certain level because nice. McDavid, Drysaddle, and Barry, you know, they're three elite passers. Other other elite passers, other than Nuge, weren't in on it. But uh, those are all highly skilled players. You know, Kulikov not known as that but the other three certainly are and it was great to see Cahoon drain it too and and Nuge's back pass was 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 uh, very sweet as well but Yamamoto like he he's he was probably the the key to that whole thing and uh and he didn't even get an assist that's how it works right. but you know what he got a he was credited with a plus in our system Bruce yeah oh uh, yeah Absolutely. and a plus on official goals plus minus my uh second good thing was the play of Yessa Puliarvi and Puliarvi is not just looking like he might be a top line forward, Bruce. In that game, he looked like he was a top line forward. He looked like he was a top line forward, just playing with confidence and 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 some fierceness that um, that you see from players in that position. The kind of confidence and swagger and and battling where he's not gonna he's not gonna back down to anyone. And, and the, the moment I thought, oh, he's my good thing wasn't his great play on the first goal where he absolutely drained a shot. The kind of goal he's got to start scoring regularly if he's going to play regularly with Connor McDavid. He's got to drain those shots, and he, and he did. But it's sure did. later in that first period, he gets the puck, and he puck protects it real hard, and he uses his, I think he's called it, or someone called it his big butt, the Pulley mm-hmm. RV big butt, and he, he mm-hmm. slammed into Horvat and knocked Bo Horvat off his feet, which is no... Easy feet. Bo Horvat is a hell of a hockey player and very strong. Yeah. How about his skates? You know, he's Ryan Kessler without the constant excessive fouling. Um, he, so I love that one. And uh, on the um, second goal, McDavid shoots it in and Pugliarvi's again jousting for position and manages to win the battle and put it over to Tyson Berry on the, on the second goal. Um, he, He's um, Louis DeBrus mentioned this battle, his battle with Edler in front of the net, where Pugliarvi got very nasty mm-hmm. and didn't take any guff and just knocked the uh, the uh, Swedish boxing champion um, off, off his feet. Edler so, is a, a wily, tough uh, um, hombre. Yeah, yeah, yeah veteran. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's been through the wars for a lot of years, and I've never known him as being a guy to back down, but uh, Pugliarvi got the better of him, just like he got the better of Mark Giordano in the corner on Saturday night, another play which I loved. Uh, uh, yes, it just ran over one of these veteran NHL defensemen that are supposed to be treated with respect, and he didn't respect Giordano at all, <laughs> nor Edler. And I love it because that's how you're going to break through in this league. You just got to stop taking guff from them and start giving them a little bit back at least. And uh, Yes is uh, dishing it out, man. I'm, I'm really liking his his battle level. is fantastic, I think. And and there's been so many great storylines of the year. But the Pulley RV story, it, it's up there with Mike. It's between him and Mike Smith, I think, for... Uh, kind of the Oilers' individual player 
unexpected um, success almost of the year. I mean, there's been lots of players like Larson who's come through, Josh Archibald, Jujar Kara. Um, just going down the list here. Um, you know, p- players who have done very, very well. But Pugliarvi is, he has become, he, if he wasn't, I don't know, was he a fan favorite? He was certainly a factional favorite before, uh, where there was a large group of fans who, who, even when he left the team, still liked the guy. And I was in that mm-hmm. number. I always, I always liked him, hoped he would come back. But now he's become a, just a total fan favorite, I believe. Yeah, I think so too. And I mean, he's so, he's much fun to watch, right? I mean, yeah, smiling away. The the facial expressions and and the, uh, uh, the body language and the helmet that doesn't fit properly and, you know, and it, and a goofy grin and, 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 and that effort level. I mean, what's, what's not to like when you got that guy digging in the corner, digging out pucks for McDavid and Drysaddle? It was actually a, that line was better tonight with Poliarvi on it than it had been on Saturday with Yamamoto on it, to my eye. Yes, so. slightly different opponent, but maybe, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yes. I don't think we've seen an athlete uh, smile so much since Magic Johnson was throwing alley-oop passes to James Worthy, Bruce. I mean, his, <laughs> he just, he's so emphatic too in his excitement. It's, it's, uh, it's, his enthusiasm is contagious, as the saying goes. Bruce, bad thing. Yeah, I got to go with uh, not just in tonight's lineup, but generally the absence of a right shot centerman uh, that the Oilers can count on to to win defensive zone faceoffs. And tonight it burned them in the third period uh, uh, when it was four to two, and in a space of one minute, the Oilers lost four consecutive, cleanly lost four consecutive faceoffs on the right defensive face circle where they had a left-handed center on his on his wrong side twice dry settled twice nugent hopkins never a righty and all four times i lost i believe all four face-off losses led to a shot or at least some kind of shot attempt right away because the uh, vancouver had such a clean possession of the puck and after the third one after the second one i you know i got a little fidgety when the playoff berth is on the line i think just take care of business win those draws get those pucks out all those details well the second one i was agitated after the third one and Koskinen made a difficult save on a deflection i was very agitated and i was saying to my wife about how the Warriors need to win one of these. I can't remember what adjective I use, but you can fill in the blank uh, face-offs. And <laughs> when you know blank. it, they lose the fourth in a row, and bam, this one's in the net. Boom. I'm not happy at that moment. I'm thinking, man, if this team has, has one weakness, that's uh, that's a weakness, right? Maybe it's a small weakness, but every once in a while, it's going to cost you a goal, and it did here. And not at a particularly great time, although uh, Vancouver didn't have a lot in the tank at that point. But uh, I just see it as a, as a weakness and losing four, cleanly losing four in a row uh, with uh, JT mm. Miller twice beating Drysdale and Horvat twice beating Nugent Hopkins. And, you know, not even being able to tie it up or, you know, have a scramble draw or anything on any of them. And it's just a... A detail that I think uh, Ken Holland may have to put on his shopping list this summer is uh, find a find a righty D man that can at least saw off in the in the circle. He's got Gaetan Haas who he sat out who got sat out tonight, 
but Haas has Banged never. Ne oh yeah, okay. I never Apparently, impressed yeah. anyone as being a face-off whiz, so I don't think at any time. Yeah, I was just checking Dylan Holloway. He's a lefty, though. So, mm -hmm. um, I mean, they have McLeod and Holloway, these two very promising young centers coming up, yep. and both of them are lefties. So, I, I just think Leon Dreisaitl, he's like that, um, you know, maybe that batter who, who takes some strikes uh, to, to lull the picture into a sense of complacency so he can slam that ball out of there mm -hmm. at the right moment. Because that's Leon's. When Leon has to win faceoffs, he's pretty good yeah, winning them. No, so no, not, normally, yeah. in the in the playoffs, we'll see how that works out. My bad thing. I'm. I don't know if this is a bad thing or a good thing. But the owners have four games left against the Canucks. So I'll start with the good side of it. The good side of it is that it's four games that fingers crossed. The, the Canucks. They've lost a lot of their uh, dirty players, and um, it, it might be good to play games that have less intensity and less and, and i'm with you like i don't want to i'm not trying to put the canucks down here by mm -hmm. saying that they were less they were less ferocious they were they were intense and they battled hard but it wasn't a ferocious game like we've seen against montreal and calgary teams like that um so th that's okay but on the other hand i just i just wonder about like playing those softer games heading into playoffs how's that going to work out I guess in the end, it's probably not that bad a thing at all. It's probably a good thing. But it, it, it just struck me, it's not going to be that much fun to watch, maybe. And it, and it might not necessarily be good for the Oilers. Although, it certainly gives them a chance to rest some players. And and I hope we'll see that. Two games at Montreal to break the chain. They have to, all this week, Sheesh. four in a row with Vancouver. Then, then they fly to Montreal for two. And they end up at home again against Vancouver. So... Did Winnipeg oh, yeah. play we might, tonight, we might by the see way? changes, and now that they've clinched, I think we might see a little bit of a change. Uh, you know, a new wind in the sail of Dave Tippett for these next few games. And I mean, honestly, they've clinched second. Winnipeg lost again tonight. They went to did. Ottawa. Oh. They, gave up a, they were tied with 90 seconds left, and they gave one. <sighs> they got no points, so they're tied with Montreal. So now I mean, oh, we're going to play the Habs. Hands, it could be the halves, it probably will be because Winnipeg. I mean, they've lost seven straight in regulation, and they've just lost their way. And they lost and a couple Montreal of players. Toronto, yeah, yeah. Cole Caulfield scored in overtime, first two career goals in overtime, consecutive games. How's that? Haven't seen it yet, but uh, it was uh, pretty, uh, no three pretty, on three in the playoffs. Compelling first. start for his career. What's that? No three on no three, three, no, on you're three right. in the playoffs. Um, yeah, I, I just, uh, come on, Winnipeg, wake up, wake the frack up. I don't wake up too much, though. We, I mean, we want them to come into the playoffs cold. So, I don't know. But if they don't play the Oilers, Bruce, yeah. but you want the Leafs to sweep them in four? Is that? No, well, no, that's want... the thing, right? I want uh, You want them to get back into third, but somehow get cold again by the end. Anyway, I, I just... They're going to play. Well, but, they're going to play. Edmonton's doing, taking care of business, and uh, they'll have to take on, take care of business once the playoff starts. And it's looking more and more like Montreal, as Dave Tippett says repeatedly. You know, you, the team cannot worry about this, these kinds of things. They, they will play who they play, yeah. and it will. You know, what what is coming has already been written. We just don't know it yet. It's not. You know, we haven't seen the words. So we'll we'll see what happens, and the owners will have just take care of their own business, and we'll. See where it all goes. Uh, what's your number? 
My number is um, 11 to 0, and that's the collective score this year in all situations where Edmonton's playing against the other team that's pulled their goalie. Edmonton's now up to 11 empty net goals on the season, even as we hear occasional complaints about their inability to hit the empty net. They've done so 11 times. But more impressively than that, they have not given up a single goal when the other team has six attackers and are throwing everything, including the kitchen sink, on the net trying to trying to get the goal that'll either tie the game or get them back in the game. And Edmonton has so far through 50 games and something over 20 minutes of playing against uh, the other team's sort of six-on-five power play, and they've killed every second of that. And that's one of the reasons why you see some some uh, pretty good plus-minuses on the Oilers. Darnell Nurse, as the extreme example, has been on the ice for all of those goals, so he's plus 11 in empty <laughs> net goals alone. Jeez. Right? Goals plus-minus. Well, so I mean, yeah, it's a weakness, and yet, you know what? I, as a Still fan, good. I love empty net goals. You know, the Oilers are 10-0 and 0 in those games. They got two empty netters in the same game here Saturday. Otherwise, it's one at a time, all wins. And I'm particularly impressed with that zero. I mean, you know, that the goalie, the defenseman, you know, everybody's doing their job. And a couple times they got, they got a, you know, somebody missed a shot that might have tied it or whatever, but... They've uh, got the job done. McDavid, I think, is plus nine. Dreisaitl and Archibald, who's the regular uh, five-on-six forward, uh, they're both plus eight. And Archibald, he got another point tonight. He had two on Saturday, one tonight. He's had ten since he's been with the Oilers. Points on empty net goals. And he's only got like 33 points or something as an Oiler, but he sure specializes in those goalie outplays. And in some respects, they're cheap goals. And in other respects, they're, you know, you got to win the puck. You got to, you know, get it into a position where you can shoot it. And then you got to hit the net. Like there's things that have to be done to get those goals. And they're winning those battles and they're getting the pucks out and they're putting them in the net. So Jim, Jim Matheson was saying today he thinks the orders, uh, you know, that protecting Archibald in the expansion draft very is a must, is a must do. I think they're going to do that. I think that they're mm-hmm. going to go with seven forwards and um, they have to protect Pulley RV. Yep. So um, they'll be protecting six, seven forwards. So there's lots of room to protect a player like Archibald. It's not a stretch to think it will be him. Mm-hmm. Bruce, that stat was one of the most McCurdy-esque stats uh, of the year. I want to congratulate mm-hmm. you on that. It's a stat that hardly anyone would think of but you, but is a very significant uh, and um, illuminating statistic and I want to give you also credit for berating the Oilers for missing over empty net shots over the years because I think you were leading the charge and well, being I've, frustrated. I've said, yeah it's a, it's a pain that, that count and since you since you you know were regularly voicing on this podcast that seemed to move the the needle on this thing and they're they're hitting the net all the time and bearing down well 11 to zero and you know when the Oilers have their goalie out they've actually outscored the other team three to two this year. Unfortunately, none of the three was an actual tying goal. It always pulled them back close, but not every tying goal. But they've outscored the other team with their goalie out, and they've crushed the other team when they when the opponents have pulled their goalie. So they, they've really uh, added to their goal differential in empty net situations. But what they've done 
best of anything this year is win games and win them in regulation. And one way to win a game in regulation is to hang on to a one-goal lead down the stretch, and they've been doing it. Well, the Oilers are a very good team, and uh, this is what happens when you're a very good team. My number, Bruce, is 75%, and that's uh, Mike's, Mike Smith didn't play tonight, but I'm still pulling out a stat from him. His winning percentage this year is um, 75%. And the reason I'm bringing it up is I just, I was curious about how he was doing it against his own age group this year. Goalies who started the year um, 38 years old, and I'm just looking for my story here on it. Had it up a second ago. 38 years old at the start of the year. And how does he compare to other goalies that particular age, in that year? Not not every old goalie, for instance, but that, that year. And um, he's at 18 wins, six losses. Now, this doesn't count as two overtime losses. Right. Which aren't kind of officially counted as losses. I don't, I don't really know. It's kind of vague. So modern it's, goalies have a little bit of an advantage in terms of this stat because they get more wins, they get more wins in overtime. That counts, but their losses aren't officially counted. So... Keep that in mind. And I'm saying he, I'm not saying he's had the best ever for sure year of a goalie his age, but he's had one of them because his winning percentage is of 75%. The only other goalie who's equaled that was Gump Worsley in 67-68, 21 wins and seven losses for 75%. Jerry Cheevers, 78-79, uh, 72%. And Johan Hedberg in 2011-12, I think he was with wow. 17 and 7 Oops. for 71%. The other goalies in the top 10, Ed Belfour, George Hainsworth, Roberto Luongo, Curtis Joseph, Sean Burke, Johnny Bauer. So, Mike, uh, Bruce, these are very illustrious goalies, other than Johan Hedberg. These are all goalies. Um, many of them are in the Hall of Fame. And um, Mike Smith, is that is an incredible achievement. What we've seen this year from this goalie is historic. It has been, and it, it's been fantastic. And the good news is, even better news is, a lot of those goalies, a lot of those goalies, that wasn't their last good year. They had a lot of good years after that. I mean, Gump Worsley was going strong until he was 42. Johnny Bauer, uh, what was his last? I think he's 43, his last year. Really good year, if I'm not mistaken. Jacques Plante, who isn't on that list, had four really good years out, yeah. you know, 39. Dominic Hasek, 41, when he was uh, 40, 41, and 42. For Ken Holland in Detroit, he had some really good years. And looking at those, I hadn't really dug into how goalies in their 40s do. And it's a small and select group of goalies. But it does seem like goalies who are in that group can put together one or two or three good years. So Mike Smith has his first, I'm going to say, old, really great year for an old goalie after two medi pretty mediocre years where he was banged up and injured. So there's no saying that he's going to be like these other guys. But based on performance, Bruce, I'm now convinced. We'll see what happens in the playoffs. But at this moment, I'm he really does deserve a new contract next year based on performance. It would be... Uh, and, and looking at actuarial tables. Somewhere. Looking at actuarial tables of NHL goalies. Yeah, most of them are done. The vast majority of them are done. But there is this little group. Maybe he's one of them. Maybe he can have one or two or three more really good years. Stranger... Things have happened. Goalies even older than Mike Smith would be at 41 in his 41-year-old season have done well. So there well, you, you have. Mentioned, you mentioned the great Jacques Plante. 
uh, yeah. who retired in 1965 at the age of 36, came out of retirement to play in St. Louis, 1968-69. Uh, so after coming out of three years out of retirement, he came back to post a save percentage of 940 and a goals against average of 196, aged 40. He turned 40 during the year, so he's basically one year older than Mike Smith is this year. Uh, and they won the Vezina Trophy in St. Louis. And at that time, 940 was the uh, best save percentage ever recorded. This, this is new data. They've 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 gone back yeah. and they've actually filled in save percentages back to 1955. They used to only have them from about 1983. And then he, he broke his own record at age 42, playing for Toronto of all teams in 1970-71. Uh, 944 save percentage. It remains the all-time record for save percentage by a goalie. 42-year-old Jake the Snake, Jacques Plante, who, of course, after that would go on to play eventually with the Edmonton Oilers. And I remember him. I remember yeah. watching him live. Yeah, me too. He's <laughs> a charismatic player, even then. Like Mike Smith, charismatic, handling that puck, moving that puck, right? Like, a, like uh, so confident in doing that. Um, Mike Smith. Yeah, he was famous for that. He was a really early pioneer in coming out and playing the puck and stuff. You know, so that's something I really noticed in tonight's game. Right from the get-go, there was a play maybe 30, 40 seconds in. The puck came in basically through the hash marks to Koskinen's left, and it went up against the end boards. And you could see the defenseman, the Edmonton defenseman, hesitate for a second, and Koskinen didn't come out to play it. And I said to my wife, Smith would have been all over that puck. Defenseman would have peeled off, and he would have bumped it off to one or the other of them. And Koskinen, being a, you know, not being Mike Smith, uh, did the conservative thing and stayed in the blue paint. But that totally changes the equation for the defenseman. And I am convinced that that's one of the reasons that uh, Dave Tippett has gone so heavily, like three to one games for uh, for Smith. In the last ten games, uh, Smith started eight of them. Koskinen, this was just his second start in the last ten games. And he was great in his other start. It's not like he's not playing well, but uh, it changes the way the Edmonton Oilers play. And I think Tippett puts great value on that, and I can understand why he does. And to give credit to Tippett, I mean, I think the reason Mike Smith's here is because of Dave Tippett. And um, it's here again this year, last year, here again this year. I don't think most teams would have gone back to Smith after the season that he had, but Tippett obviously really believes in that goalie and it's his belief has paid off. And, it, you know, so Dave Tippett deserves a lot of cr credit just for that decision alone um, with Mike Smith this year, just like, just like Ken Holland does with his patience is, you know, a lot of people like making fun of, you know, the old hockey guy and, you know, the connected hockey guy, but his, his hockey savvy was a huge part of keeping Pulley on this team, I think his patience and having been through that experience a number of times in the past. So um, good Tippett and Hall and uh, both deserve credit for, for the, I read for on Twitter though that, players. I read on Twitter that Mike Smith deserves all the credit for Mike Smith's good season. And Ken Holland deserves none of it because he made a bad decision that Mike Smith somehow was able to overcome and make and a good decision. Maybe uh, they knew something we didn't Holland and Tippett. Is that possible, Bruce? Could that ever happen in this yeah, maybe they learned about the conditioning program that Smith was undertaking last summer to work on his core strength to stop him from doing all those belly flops that he used to do. He's actually playing a different 
style yes. of netminding this year. And maybe somebody had some inside knowledge on it that, that those of us on Oilers Twitter may not have quite had access to. Just, Although just, they, a, wild, just a wild guess. They did try to sign Markstrom, I mean, if we're completely honest here. Like, well, yeah, no, I understand it was plan B or plan C. But uh, he, ha- he had <laughs> it up his sleeve and he went and got, uh, you know, we've talked about it many times, Tyson Berry and Mike Smith kind of as a package. And there's Tyson Berry scoring a big goal tonight and adding to his point total. And, you know, I mean, I, I, Holland's done some things right. Tippett's done some things right. Are they the best at, in the business, either one of them? Probably not, but they're not the worst. Yeah, well, we'll see. Ken Holland, uh, is he still the best in the business? He's got something to prove, let's put it that way. But he he has been the best in the business. So um, we'll see if he can crank it up again. Bruce, let's leave it there. we got another game tomorrow night. So. We sure do. And then another Thanks. one on Thursday and another yeah. one on Saturday. And we're grinding out now because these are, in a sense, uh, meaningless games or, or marginally right. meaningful games. And it's more about individual stories now and – We'll see, you know, does Evan Bouchard get in the lineup? Are they ever going to For use sure. uh, are they ever going to use the third goalie? You know, are they uh are they gonna find a way to get um um uh, find a little bit of ice time <clears throat> you know for this guy or that. Tyler, Tyler Ennis got a game tonight, for example, and had mostly good moments with a couple of defensive issues, a typical Tyler Ennis game, but he had lots of energy yes. and hustle and, and I thought he was all right. And, that's what you want. You want all these guys to have, you know, a little bit of taste of the action because you might need them in the playoffs. You might, including Staylock. Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>